Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. We are so glad you are joining us. This is episode 201. Uh, we're recording this on Sunday, December 4th, 2022 at 4.15 p.m. Pacific time. We had a blast last week, blowing everything out, getting everyone going, getting out, doing this big, huge thing, deep diving super bad. Today, it's me and Adam. I'm Terry. He's Adam. How's it going? I feel like everybody's like still hung over from last week's episode. Apparently, <laughs> we got too many drop people dropped off. Chicky, chicky, yeah, yeah. Uh, but Merry Christmas, you filthy animals! Really happy yeah. to be back on the main show. It's we're kicking off Christmas season in full effect. So this is pretty good. This is exciting, huh? Yeah, yeah. I I, I think you're right. I think they they just uh, they they had a little too much McLovin, and uh, they, they're <laughs> too much they McLovin. Had McLovin overload, you could say, and uh, yeah. a little too much uh, green beer. Yeah. um they're passed out somewhere right now but yeah they're they're busy they couldn't get on this week but it's the two of us and yeah this is gonna be fun uh we're gonna do some different stuff because we always do different stuff when it's the two of us yeah uh, we gotta and, do something uh, yeah we're so we're gonna have about half a podcast a movie talk half a podcast a baseball talk as as we can only can because we're the only ones that nerd out over this stuff that much so uh so yeah it's gonna be Football fun season what no it's mlb season all time every, it, it's every always <laughs> off-season baseball might be i might like that more than in-season baseball like give me give me december and winter meetings mm -hmm. over over a random week in june any day <laughs> i'm such a baseball nerd growing up i used to play like mvp baseball on the playstation now it's mlb the show uh, for PlayStation, but I used to keep track of it during the offseason so much that I would update the rosters manually every time a trade would happen and save it and then go back and play it. How would that player do on that team now? Yeah, I was weird. You're not the I only needed... one. You're not the yeah, only there one. There we go. Good. Well, I, I used to, what was it? It was uh, Triple Play 2000. Oh, trip. That's a good one, too. I remember on, that title. On the PS1, yep. I, I used to, yeah, I used to customize custom create the rosters because it was a couple years old at that point mm -hmm. and then i would simulate i wouldn't even play it i would just simulate the computer playing the game before the game more times than not it was right yeah it was that right. is funny yeah <laughs> god we need more friends <laughs> oh yeah we, we we just need more more nerds like we need more baseball nerds we need more movie nerds that's really what i yeah think. that's what we need that's that's what almost sideways is man it's a place for movie conversation sports conversation just a good time to have talk with the things we love so that's good exactly exactly well make sure you're subscribing rating reviewing wherever you find your podcasts i'm assuming if you're listening to us you're already a nerd so uh we're happy to have you reach Welcome out to board. us <laughs> reach out to us on social media you can find both of us on facebook or twitter uh and uh check the show notes for for how to find us yes sir all right uh we we've got a lot of stuff going on on the podcast uh this week, uh, right after this comes out, you'll be hearing the uh, first episode of season three of the yes. Very Almost Sideshow. 
and uh adam and i have been having a whole lot of fun with that so if you haven't checked that out yet it it's a lot of fun it's a half hour show uh followed by a half hour podcast so um so watch barry then listen to us it's a uh, it's pretty good we've got one for every episode up until up until now we started from the very first episode of season one mm-hmm. and uh we're we're to season three now and the show's getting wild so uh make sure yeah. you're checking that out and adam you've got daily notes that yeah, uh, yeah. You, you just had one come out and uh so tell us what just came out and what you have planned for next week what just came out was spirited away a revisit of that okay. classic studio ghibli film and a really great original film that is my favorite film of all time is The Departed. And I went back and hit this giant blind spot. Uh, um, and that was Infernal Affairs, the OG version of The Departed. Uh, I, I, It's weird doing that review. That, that whole episode recording that, even though I've been doing a lot better job, job with my notes, I really had a hard time describing these two amazing films. Um, and I think part of my bias for Departed made me love the Infernal Affairs even like a lot more. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Screw it. I changed my rating like halfway through like my conversation. I was like, I'm three and a half. I'm like, you know what? Screw it. Four. Let's just do a four stars. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> screw it. I don't care. Uh, yeah, that, that it's great. It's a great show. Uh, great episode there. Uh, this upcoming episode, we're going back five years, 2017. I shuffled some stuff in my lineup. I was really originally going to do 1992, but we're going back to my sister's coming to town. So I'm, I'm sh- holding off on that, uh, that episode, nice. but nice. the uh, 2017, we're going to talk about the last Jedi going to revisit the star Wars, Ooh. the last Jedi. Uh, yeah. Uh, in the words of Todd on this podcast, I asked Adam how it was and he said he kind of hated it. So that's, that's what uh, we're wondering. We're going to see if that opinion changes. It is and, the most polarizing Star Wars movie of them all. It really is. Yes. I have started watching 40 minutes of it as of, uh, I think it was a couple days ago. I, I watched it and I'm going back and rewatching it. But spoiler, yeah, the first 30 minutes are kind of are, are really good. <laughs> Way better than I remember it. Yeah, it's a, so it's a we, great movie. I That's yeah. a four star movie. It's one of my highest rated Star Wars movies. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to going. I know I haven't got to the point where I re- really didn't like it yet. So uh, we're going back there. And we're also going to talk about a first time watch. Jake Gyllenhaal, Stronger. We're talking about Ooh, his. I have uh, not seen yeah. that one. Yeah, I haven't uh, seen it either. And then and then on top of that, I'm planning um, a journey with Spielberg, uh, celebrating an anniversary. There's three films I can go with. Empire of the Sun is celebrating an anniversary this year. Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which that's where I'm going to be leaning towards. And also The Post. Those are my three that options, but it's probably going to be close encounters to the third kind that I'm going to be reviewing for the first time. Watch, mind you, I never seen it. Whoa, never yeah. seen close encounters. Never. That's why wow. I, I, I mentioned it on the Fablemans episode. I was like, kind of need to watch close encounters. So that's going to be my next journey with Spielberg. You being such a classic Spielberg fan, I can't believe I, you have never seen close encounters. Never. I don't know why. Wow. So that's my episodes. Uh, 2017 Star Wars: The Last Jedi, stronger, and then followed up by another episode of Journey with Spielberg, our ninth entry of that that series, and that's going to be Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Nice, awesome, pretty, pretty sweet. Yeah, make sure so make sure you're checking that out. It's all part of the same podcast feed, almost sideshow, the daily notes, and the main show here, all all in the same feed. So be checking that out. All right, well, let's get into what we're talking about. 
Adam, what are you drinking? Well, I got this the returning of the Woodenville whiskey. It's just really good, warm. It's a nice cold day up here in Washington. I'm sure it's cold in uh, Portland as well, or Oregon as well. Yep. Uh, so I got some nice, nice warm whiskey, and I got a Dr. Pepper to chase it. So sweet. sweet. Yeah, there we go. So, so we're talking some Christmas movies today. Mm-hmm. So I, I went to go get some beer, and the, especially at? considering that we're we're going to be talking, you know, Violent Night. Um, I knew exactly what beer I wanted. I, I often get Pelican beer just because it's good brewed here on the Oregon coast. But this is their this is their seasonal Christmas beer. It's a con- Cascadian dark ale, but it is called Bad Santa. And and mm. look at look at that look at that Pelican. He's got a he's got a Santa hat on and a stogie. I mean, yeah, he looks no, like a, yeah, he looks like he's on his lunch break. Yeah, nothing like. <laughs> nothing beats that. So uh, yeah, great call. Some sunglasses on. I knew I knew yeah. that's that was the beer for uh for this podcast for sure. And yeah, uh nice. and re- busting out the October Rise Mariners t-shirt for our baseball talk a little later. It's going to be good stuff. Yeah. I had stuff. my Christmas sweatshirt on, my diehard Christmas sweatshirt, but it's it's too hot in this house. Like I I, I had to take it off. That uh, you know, I love ugly Christmas sweaters, but yeah, they are way too hot. <laughs> too hot. Yeah, it's I have no one. good. And I, I, I can't wear it for very long because I just roast. I'm just sweating yeah. the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, too much. All right. Too much heat. Well, let's get into what we've been watching. And we're going to go to you first, Adam. What have you been watching this week? All right. Well, I mentioned in my podcast, we did uh, Spirited Away and Infernal Affairs. Originally, I had advertised Killer Joe. Uh, come to find out that's not a 2002 movie. That's a 2012 movie. So I was like, that, that would be kind of aw- awkward. Oops. If I mentioned the 2010 decade and I was like, wait a second, we're still 10 years past uh, before this on uh, the other episode. So anyway, we're talking about Matthew McConaughey's re- uh, Renaissance right there. We're talking about Killer Joe. It's an NC-17 film that's or unrated, depending on where you, uh, what version you're watching. It's uh, an hour and 42 minutes. It's directed by William Fredkin. The screenplay is by Tracy Letts. And as a, a Talk about an almost sideways fan cast. Uh, Matthew McConaughey, Emil Hirsch, Juno Temple, Thomas Hayden Church. Some really uh, fan favorites of ours, I believe. Absolutely. It's the third film. So my, my initial takes on this was it's the third film in the Matthew McConaughey McConaughey uh, that gets this kind of gets forgotten. I feel like this film, the true jumping off point is like the Lincoln lawyer <laughs> that can re- revitalize his yeah. career. And then people jump straight to Magic Mike and Mud. But we really forget about Killer Joe and Bernie being that that same uh, right before those big mm. bigger titles well zach don't never hear... forgets about bernie no he well, zach definitely saying... and he'll remind us about bernie all the time <laughs> uh, that's a good movie actually uh <laughs> i don't hear a lot of people talking about uh, this crazy and 17 film killer joe or even you know bernie other than zach really but so of course i had i wanted to experience this when i found this at a pawn shop relatively cheaply so it's it's cheaper than a rental so it's a perfect uh I think it is streaming somewhere, so definitely check that out. Uh, essentially, what this is about is Emil Hirsch's character uh, doesn't really like his stepmom, and come to find out, or his mom rather, and his mom has some kind of life insurance policy. So he goes up to his dad, who played by Thomas Hayden Church, and said, "Hey, we can knock off mom really cheaply because she has this insurance policy. We're kind of we need the money anyway, and we know this this guy who." would be do this hit for us and which is he's played by uh, killer joe which is matthew mcconaughey matthew mcconaughey's character so that's our setup for the film what i really loved about what i really liked about the movie actually is the chaotic opening with emil hirsch and thomas hayden church was kind of amazing 
they're two sideways favorite actors and there's a great chemistry like it's really electric their back and forth dynamic is fun they go to this strip club which by the way this movie does have a lot of because it's nc-17 a lot of like crazy like nudity that plays off especially in the first like five minutes like i said they did this opening sequence they do go to a strip club with some really creative camera angles so i give the cinematographer credit for that i guess uh the intro also to killer joe it, when he drives up to the house for the first time you know he means business he has this police detective who who moonlights as a hitman he just oozes that intensity of this character mcconaughey does a great job there his energy and persona are something you notice that and it immediately just jumps off the screen there uh, mcconaughey like i said he, um and I read somewhere that he actually passed on this role, role at first saying that he was disgusted when he first read the script. He then did a reread, re, ugh, reread and he found out that or he found that the humor to to it that showed the humanity to the characters and he actually agreed to sign on to it. He is a totally an alpha wolf in this movie who's icy and cool. Who, who also has this extreme calm to him, which is a very interesting uh, performance there. And it's definitely a memorable when you watch it. There are some things that definitely um, are weird to it. That is, has some, it makes me feel like uneasy. Some of the humor is really uh, dark. And um, again, I said the nudity to the NC-17. I guess there's a scene here that some dialogue gets mis uh, relayed, I guess, from, audience members but uh just some like a random sex scene that's kind of uh makes you feel uncomfortable but there's the biggest scene here is this chicken wing scene that i will never eat chicken wings the same way again i'll just put it out there that's the reason why this film got the <laughs> nc-17 rating uh overall i give the movie props for being something that is hard to watch and has this really coolness to it this cool factor as well has some really decent humor i'm going three stars here i'm not 100 sure if it's a rewatchable movie like i don't know if i would go out of my way and rewatch this maybe just to see some cool clips on youtube of uh, matthew mcconaughey as killer joe but definitely i'm glad i i watched it it's definitely i uh, got knocked it off the list though so nice yeah i've never seen that one um I haven't there there's a there's a few blind spots in that uh reconnaissance that I that I never caught and that's one of them. All right, I got a couple movies I want to report on that I watched this week. First, uh my Oscar review. Okay. Uh I, I don't know, we'll see. I know this is not isn't as good as quite, guessing. Yeah, this isn't quite your expertise like it is Todd and Zach, but Oscar movie trivia is horrible for me. But it, it's it's a pretty big blind spot for me. I honestly don't know if you've seen it. It's going back 20 years to 2002. It was a nominee for Best Original Screenplay. That was its one nomination. And it was possibly the biggest surprise hit, potentially of all time. That it got the nomination in that category? No, just just surprise box office hit that ended up getting a, a an original screenplay hmm. nomination. Hmm. Now I know I have a, a a list, a watch list for this year for all the Oscar movies too. Um, who's in it? Can I ask who's that? Who's that? Nobody of note. Oh, that uh, or here, here's here's your hint. Uh, or the the one person of note. Well, the person who wrote it is the star of it, and then um, the only other recognizable face I saw was a member of In Sync. 
Oh, my big fat Greek wedding. My big fat Greek wedding. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Gr- good clues. Yeah. That's a uh, low key. I really love that movie. Put some Windex on it. Yeah. It's. It's. I, I'm looking. I'm looking forward now to hearing your thoughts. Yeah. So directed by Joel Zwick, written and starring uh, Nia Vardalos uh, as Tula Portocolos and her big fat Greek family. Uh, she falls in love with Ian Miller, played by John Corbett, who also is a recognizable face, but he's just yeah, one of those faces exposure, that yeah. you see everywhere, but you don't really know, remember him at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and um, <clears throat> she meets him. She falls in love. He's not Greek, but they kind of accept him in any ways they have. And uh, they have the wedding. This movie is impossible to hate. <laughs> yeah, this is true. this is like the most likable movie I have ever seen. Um, it is it it plays with some tropes, but they're like true tropes in in just this, this like big Greek family thing. But it doesn't play with any plot tropes, which I think are, is really interesting. It's just it's just a wholesome movie about this love story and they end up and they end up getting married in the end and you've got all these memorable characters as all the as all the uh the family members yeah uh i i mentioned how it was this huge hit and like one of the biggest surprise hits ever the budget of this movie was five million dollars yeah hardly nothing its opening weekend was a half a million but it ended up grossing worldwide 368 million worldwide. This yeah. is like one of the biggest indie hits of all time. Yeah. And now I know why. Because like I said, it, it's it's impossible to hate. In fact, I loved it. I it, it's it's just it's 95 minutes. It goes by really quick. It yeah. doesn't um it, it it doesn't dwell on any on any things. It doesn't manufacture drama or conflict. It just gives you what it has and that's all it needs uh i i had to give this movie four stars oh, I uh, don't, it, wow yeah, good call it's it it, it just it, it's that good it's just a good movie and i would watch this over and over and over again because yeah. it is which is why it made so much money because people kept going back to it it's like have you seen this movie my big fat greek wedding mm-hmm. and i don't know why it took me 20 years to finally catch up with it but uh oh but, man yeah. good call it's 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 a it's a great movie. I I love it. It's just outside my top ten because two thousand two is a pretty stacked year. It's a stacked year. So yeah, especially um, with some blind spots that you and I both have knocked off this year. I think that that's a good mm-hmm. call there. I, I really quickly. I, this is an episode of Dailyness I wanted to make happen, but I just did, didn't pair well with the other movies I wanted to do this year. Great call. This is like the definition of an, of an almost sideways deep dive. You want a movie with some great side characters. This would have been an awesome oh, yes. like, nomination for a deep dive uh, because of the significance of the film, because it was such an indie hit. I rem- actually remember this movie getting talked about, like the box office numbers kept hitting in 2002. We had rented this one. I think we bought it. And my mom, we didn't really have TV or cable, so we used to watch old tv shows from the library and northern exposure was one of them oh and, nice uh, so the uh, what's john what's his last name again Co- corbett 
Corbett, he was the awesome, the, the, the coolest DJ in the world from Northern Exposure. So <laughs> it kind of made me really like that movie. Well, the only downfall on this movie, I would say, do not watch the sequel or watch this TV show. Oh, I see. I was wondering about the sequel. It took a long time to make it. Yes. And, and I don't know if Cardalos comes back yeah. for it. I know. I think everybody does come back for it. I at least the majority of people do. Uh, and I know it's about their daughter, which, which makes I, that's all I really remember. But at the same time, great call. Great first time watch. I'm glad you loved it. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great. All right. So the next one is uh, that I want to talk about really quick. So I always do my double feature Friday nights. Mm-hmm. And I did Violent Night, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. But the second movie I watched with it was Devotion. The uh, the Korean War fighter pilot movie oh, starring Jonathan Majors. Majors and Glenn Powell. Uh, as if boy. he hasn't been flying around too much this year so far, he uh, made another fighter pilot movie. Um, yeah, that probably, the, the probably would have been fine if uh, Top Gun Maverick had come out two years ago like it was supposed to. <laughs> but yeah. um, anyways, so this tells uh, this is based on a true story of the first uh, naval uh first african-american naval aviator uh played by jonathan majors his name is jesse brown and his wingman played by glenn powell named tom hudner and it's about their uh their friendship their relationship and uh and their squadron as they continue as they go through some different things as they uh as they kind of grow together and then eventually find their way to korea and um and being a part of the korean war um there's not many other uh, uh, recognizable faces in here. Uh, a couple that you do see, Joe Jonas is a part of the squadron, which oh, nice. as I'm watching it, I'm like, I think that's a Jonas. And then sure <laughs> enough, the credits start rolling and oh yeah, it is. Oh, and hey, his his song plays over the credits too, which is actually a really great song. You should check it out. Nice. Uh, and uh, Joseph Cross has like a little part near the end. He's on screen for maybe five minutes. Uh, those are really the only recognizable faces in this entire movie. Uh, it's a little formulaic. Um, it, it's it's not really focused. It's just kind of walking through the the life of these guys. Uh, the movie works best when it's talking about the this these guys' relationship, and it really it really plays that up well. Uh, and their their performances, Majors and Powell, are both outstanding in this. Um, the storytelling, like I said, could have used some work, but it's such a great story. It it was kind of hard to mess up. Uh, I, I was just looking at some stuff, and uh, one of the critiques of it is, well, the the actual flying scenes are nowhere near what Top Gun Maverick did, and it's like, well, I'm drawing comparison. You can't. You can't. You can't help but compare it though, because you've got two fighter pilot movies in the same year, both starring the same actor. Same actor, I, so, get, I can. I mean, see you that, have yeah. to you have to compare them. But one of the things that was interesting about it is they actually hired the same uh, the same like sequence designer that Top Gun Maverick used for its fighter pilot scenes. The problem is the uh, since we're talking Korean War, all the planes that they're flying are have been decommissioned, so they had to use CGI. They couldn't do all the stuff that Top Gun Maverick does of, of showing the new planes because they're not new. None of them fly anymore. So they had to they had to CGI a lot of it. And uh, which 
leads to some of the issues with the the yeah. how it doesn't it's not as quite as exciting. Uh, I'm still gonna give this movie three stars. I was kind of on the fence of two and a half to three, but uh, like I said, I think this is a very important story to tell uh, the story of of Jesse Brown. And uh, it's kind of a hard story to mess up. And the performances, like I said, of the two main main uh, actors there of Majors and Powell are are really really strong, and they're it's worth seeing for that alone. So uh, I'm given I'm given Devotion three stars, uh, and uh, yeah, check it out. It's it's in theaters now. I don't know how much longer it's going to be in theaters because you're about to get all the Christmas movies that are going to hit pretty soon. So go see it quick if you want to if you want to see it on the big screen. Nice. Jonathan Majors, man. I went to a, th- a movie a couple of weeks ago. I think it was Black Panther, actually. And three Jonathan Major movies, trailers popped up. Devotion, oh, wow. Creed 3, Ant-Man. Like, oh, he's sure, huge. Yeah. yeah, so three trailers of his just dropped. So uh, good to see him have killing it out there. So He looks crazy in Creed 3. <sighs> yes, he does. All right. Well, that's what I've been watching. Let's get to our featured reviews now. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. This is the most Zack movie ever made. You gotta see it. Movie reviews. And first one up, we have the big holiday movie that just hit theaters this weekend. Uh, Number two at the box office. I was just looking at this. It almost took down Wakanda Forever. Wakanda Forever made 17.6 million. And Violent Night came in at 13.3. You ain't driving, are you? I steer a little, but the ranger do my sword. <laughs> this is my full fear, the center. How about you? I started the whole damn thing. Oh, oh, oh! It's Christmas! We decided that you could have one gift. Early. What is it? That is a direct hotline of Santa Claus himself. I can talk to Santa. All right, revelers. Welcome to your worst Christmas ever. Let's go! You have $300 million in your personal vault. That's what I want for Christmas. I don't want any trouble, okay? Something's gonna scooch up that chimney. Who is he? Because he's not your typical mall Santa. Santa, are you there? Daddy said you were very busy tonight. My name is Trudy Lightstone. Are you gonna help us, Santa? Yeah, Trudy. Santa? No, my nice list. Santa Claus is coming to town. Time for some season's beatings. Who the hell are you? Boss, what if he really is the real? No. Such thing as Santa. These bad men, they're all on my naughty list. Naughty. That's naughty! And what do you do to the naughty ones? I give them a lump of coal. Where is it? 
believe in you, Santa. Come on. Which one of you did that? Prancer? So unprofessional. Adam, you're starting us out on this one. Tell us uh, about Violent Night and what you thought. All right. Violent Night is directed by Tommy Ricola. And I absolutely love some movies that he's directed, a.k.a. Dead Snow and Dead Snow 2. Heck yes. Zombie snow movies. <laughs> yeah. Nazi zombie snow movie. Yeah, that's great. Uh, written by Pat Casey and Josh Miller. It has a good cast here, too. David Harbour, John Leguizamo, Alex Hassel, Alexis Loudler, and Beverly D'Angelo. A group of Christmas-themed mercenaries led by Scrooge, played by John Leguizamo, attack the wealthy Lightstone estate. Santa Claus must come to town and save the day, and as well as Christmas as well. So first off, David Harbour uh, is kind of ideal casting for this the Jolly Saint Nick. There's a little bit of Alexi from Black Widow meets uh, Billy Bob Thornton's Willie character from Bad Santa. It's kind of a cool little hybrid there in a, in a performance. It's a weird performance, but it totally works, I feel. He's on the brink of wanting to step away from being Father Christmas, but reluctantly has has to hammer his way through those villains. Loved his cool Norse mythology backstory that gives Santa this extra layer to him in this, and that I would actually be on board with if they decided to elaborate and make another film about the Norse mythology about his character. Uh, the movie has some fun homages to films like Die Hard and Home Alone with a, a, a realistic twist referring to Home Alone there. <laughs> Those homages had me as jolly as the big man himself. The plot that these mercenaries have is totally something that we from a Die Hard ripoff film that we've seen before uh, and is going. But the violence is fun. You just shut your brain off and enjoy it. The Lightstone family is what really kind of had the problem with the movie the, the most it's really aren't really enjoyable characters whatsoever. Beverly D'Angelo is the head of this family who is foul mouth and a, a far departure from Ellen Griswold, though it is fun to see her back on the big screen. Edie Patterson, who plays the, one of the daughters of Beverly D'Angelo's character. She's basically doing a more toned down version of her character from the righteous gemstones. And then Alex Hassel uh, as the older son, or was the son in this movie? It has some fun moments, but is charming and sweet, but something I was kind of off with the character and I kind of saw something happening uh, as the runtime kept going. The only exceptions to the family that I really kind of liked was Alexis Louder's character who plays like the, the wife of Jason. I thought she had some really cool, cool moments and brought some charm to it too. But uh, the big standout here is uh, Leah Brandy, who's their daughter, uh, Jason and Alexis Louder's daughter in the film, uh, who's actually communicating with Santa. She's totally in on the nice list and she has some really cool uh, chemist uh, some charm to her and is a little charming actress there uh overall final night it's exactly what it's advertised to be it's a holiday film with santa who kicks a, a lot of guys in the anus uh, david harbour is perfect for this role and would love i would love to see him see more of him in it it's a familiar plot that does pay homage to some classic holiday themed films we love the kills are brutal and shocking, or the with a holiday twist, you would expect like kills with a Christmas can, uh, or Christmas star, candy canes, ice skates, and a chimney. It takes a bit before Santa really goes to town on our villains. Uh, scenes with the unlikable Glad uh, Lightstone family um, make me impatient and cringe 
hashtag blessed. I wanted more Santa slaying. I, I'm giving this a three stars because I feel like there's some rewatchability for me that I really enjoy a lot of the moments here. It's a borderline two and a half star film for me though, but I, the kills and some of the fun nature of the movie, I'm giving it three. Um, there's a more, there's more good list to this than bad list. And I've checked it twice. So I'm going just little, little three star film there. Uh, well done. Well done. I like, I, I I like some of the, some of the turns of phrase you had there. Uh, yeah. Uh, three stars for me too. This is, this is like an instant holiday classic for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, going into it, I, the way it built it was exactly what I thought it was going to be. Like you said, and and the way I, I would describe it to people is what if John McClane were Santa? Mm-hmm. And that, that's really what this movie is. That, that, and it knows it's that. That's the best part. It knows exactly what it is and leans into it. It knows it's borrowing and, and stealing from all these other other franchises. And it leans into it. And because it leans into it, it's that much better for it. I mean, Santa is totally John McClane and David Harbour plays it to perfection. He knows the assignment and he, he, <laughs> he does exactly what he's, what he's supposed to do in that. Uh, then you have, it's like, but then it's Die Hard meets home alone. And, and it, and like flat out references, we're going to do alone, some yeah. home alone stuff here. And, and, uh, and you don't care. It's perfectly all right. It's fine. Yeah. But then you also have like some some of like the Santa Claus in there where you've got the ironic uh ironic sentimentality of of having Santa involved in this and the Christmas magic stuff. Yeah. Um but then that's a good got, call too. But then you've got like the gruesome violence that you would expect from a movie like this cuz uh I, I, the movie I always think of when I see, you know, those epic kills like that is is shoot 'em up. Mm, uh which okay. is actually if you it's the movie right above my head here. The movie poster. Oh, right there we go. Yeah. yeah, Clive Owen. Clive Paul Owen. Giamani. Yeah, I, I I always think of that when I think of the the comically violent kills that this has. Um, I agree that uh, with you in that the part that works the least is the family. Like you're supposed to root for this family, but they're kind of despicable people. Yeah, but you don't. I, I, I don't really care either because you root enough for the little girl that none yeah, of the none true. of the rest really matters and uh and it's so comically just off the walls that it 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 adds to the adds to the comedy that all this is for this horrible family that's like <laughs> the richest family in the world uh yeah uh and uh, yeah but it is nice to see Beverly D'Angelo returning to Christmas movies uh and yeah this i was much closer to 3 and a half Okay. Uh, then, then I was a two and a half, but the, yeah, this is a three-star movie, and yeah, rewatchability through the roof. Like, I want to watch this movie every Christmas moving forward because it's just fun. And please don't make a sequel. Leave it. Leave it. It's 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 going to be a holiday classic. If you leave it, just leave it alone. But would you be interested in seeing the Norse mythology of? Him? Yes, I would. But. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, good. At least we had that. We but have you at least saying that I on. I kind of want them audio. to just leave it alone. And I knew in like the opening credits, I knew we were going to have some fun because one of the producers on this movie is David Leach, David who Leach, has yeah. uh, who's directed some great fun movies recently, like Deadpool Two and Atomic Blonde. He's the one that started John Wick. He directed Bullet Train earlier this year. 
So as oh, soon yeah. as you know he's involved, you kind of know what you're getting in for. And it, it did it. It did it so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, yeah, pretty much like I kind of was saying, like the, the, the family stuff, you can just kind of turn your brain off because you kind of see where the how the dynamic dynamic yeah. is relatively soon. It's like I want to see Santa like it takes a little bit for the Santa aspect to really get going. But, you, you know, when you you uh, you open it up with him on a bar, you definitely see bad Santa there. There's a lot of fun kills and it, it, it's a fun time, man. Like, I yeah, I'm definitely. It's a, definitely a solid move that I, I'm looking forward to rewatching again. I know my wife and I uh, had a lot of fun in theaters, seeing a lot of cool kills. So I, I greatly appreciated that. Yeah. And great to see John Leguizamo. It's always great to see him. And it's the second time I've seen him on the big screen in the last like three or four weeks because he was in the menu as well. Oh, uh, so okay, he, yeah. I mean, he's kind of so he's kind of having a moment. He was in Encanto last year. So you look at like mm-hmm. the last 12 months he's had. It's, it's, a, pretty, it's a pretty great 12 months pretty great 12 months yeah. great so. uh and playing scrooge i thought that i thought the uh, aspect of all the uh their his mercenary team having different uh, uh christmas themed names i thought it was mm-hmm. cool the guy who played krampus was uh, a funny uh was pr- rather funny as well yes yes it made me want to watch that movie because krampus is actually a really fun christmas movie i watch every year too so i don't know if you've seen a recommendation there for you yeah yeah there were some there were some great uh great henchmen in this for sure all right. Well, twice approved yeah. on uh, on Violent Night, which is all it can be because there's only the two of us right now. So uh, check it out. It's in theaters. Um, I'm I'm hoping this thing gets to streaming by Christmas so I can watch it again without having to go back to the theaters. But who knows? Yeah. I, I'm expecting in two weeks when Avatar comes out, nothing else will be playing in theaters. So yeah, you'll probably have a, like a rental on Amazon at some point relatively yeah, soon. Probably I, that's for sure. All right. Speaking of streaming, let's go to our second (laughs) featured review, which is another holiday movie that just came out recently. It's been out for a few weeks, but we haven't talked about it yet. And uh, now that we're officially into December, we're going to we're going to crack this one open as well. And it is the Apple TV Plus film, uh, which did play in theaters for a week. But now you can only see it on Apple TV Plus. It is called Spirited. On a bitter cold Christmas Eve. One dark soul is selected for redemption by the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and yet to come. A tradition that continues to this very night. Like a Christmas carol? Yes, yes. If you would just let me get this out, sit. So out of all the people on the planet, murderers, people who do gender reveal parties, I'm the guy you're gonna haunt. You know what? Forget it. I told you, the guy is a level 20 bang in the dickens. Come on, I can take this guy. I'm your ghost of Christmas present. La 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 la, I'm not watching your dramatic re-encrapment. Hey, I'm haunting you. You can't just run away from me when I'm haunting you. Hello? I believe he can be a positive force for mankind. And he's got his hands all over everything. Yeah, I wish. Maude, are you texting HR? No. People don't change. We got a runner! That's just fun to watch. I'm here to change him to being a more positive force for humanity. (laughs) Clint. (laughs) Clint. Yeah. You Photoshop yourself into these pictures of my executive VP? I don't think so. Oh, you want that. What I want is for you to shut up and let me do my job. 
Is there a ghost of Christmas, Grumpy? Because you could do that job. This is where real change begins. Oh, oh that's... Oh, he's dead. Yeah, he's dead. Oh, that... No, no, he's fine. He's good. Well, he's fine. well none of us real anyway. This is starring Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds and Octavia Spencer. It is uh, directed by Sean Anders, written by Sean Anders and John Morris. Uh, and really, this is a a modern retelling slash twist off the uh, classic Dickens Christmas Carol, uh, where you have like this whole production team of of ghosts that have come together to do what they did to Scrooge and haunt on Christmas Eve to change the world for the better. And Will Ferrell stars as the co- the ghost of Christmas present. And uh, you have also uh, Sunita Mani as the ghost of Christmas past and the voice of Tracy Morgan as the ghost of Christmas yet to come because everything's better when you got some Tracy Morgan involved and they decide to go after an unredeemable because uh, the ghost of Christmas present wants to challenge and wants to really change the world. So they go after a man named Clint Briggs, an ad exec played by Ryan Reynolds. And uh, this is a musical. There's a lot of fun uh, musical numbers that pop up throughout it. Octavia Spencer plays Kimberly. It's Ryan Reynolds' assistant. And so a lot the majority of this movie is the night of haunting and trying to change someone uh, for the better. And Ryan Reynolds kind of makes fun of the whole process along the way. And in some ways changes the ghost of Christmas present instead of being changed himself. Uh, all right, I'm going to be honest. This movie's a bit of a mess. Uh, it it has no idea what it's doing in terms of plot. Uh, the plot bounces all over the place <laughs> and is wild. And yeah, I don't, I'm not really sure what the plot is uh, at times because I, you go you go back to to Clint's past and then you go back to the Ghost of Christmas Presents past. And yeah. you know, there's some there's some twists in there that are like, why did what? Why did you have to do that? By the way, the CEO of the whole spirit movement is Bob Marley from the original Christmas Carol. Um, yeah, it the the songs aren't are they're they're fun, but they're not really memorable. Like I'm not humming any of those songs. It's too many of them are too similar. Uh, they've mm-hmm. got actors who don't have the greatest of voices, but they work. So that kind of hurts it as well. Like the day after I watched this, I walked in, uh, I got home from work and the kids were sitting down and watching Jingle Jangle. Did you ever see that one on Netflix a couple years ago with Forrest no. Whitaker and Keegan Michael Key? Well, it's um, like that's a musical one too, right? Right. Yeah, and it has okay. good music. Like like you you hear that music and like, okay, I'm tapping my foot to this and it it is like I forget what I gave that one, but I I don't know if I gave it three stars, but I considered it just because the music is great. The production value is great. 
and it's everything that Spirited needed. Uh, this movie is is produced by uh, Justin Paul and Benj Pasek. Uh, you can tell it's produced by them, and the music isn't by them because the music would be better if it was. Uh, they're the ones that did the music to Dear Evan Hansen and La La Land and Greatest Showman and all these movies with these amazing soundtracks and Spirited is not one of them. The music's unmemorable. The script is a mess. The story doesn't know what it wants to do. The ending is predictable because you know it where it's going the entire time. Uh, I'm giving it two stars just simply mm. for the fact that it tried and it put Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds on screen together. Um, and it gave us the best version of the Grace Kelly TikTok video of any of them you could possibly have because they filmed that while they were on set for this movie last year. So two stars. What's you know the Grace what Kelly about? thing? Yeah. The, the whole I could be brown, I could be blue, I could be violet. Did you, did you not oh, see any of those yeah. videos? I've and there, and there was a videos. one with Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell. They filmed it while huh. they were filming Spirited. And so did not put those two that together, but now oh, I understand. That, I was reference. thinking at the entire time that, that, that this movie inspired that, that pairing for that moment. But yeah, <laughs> two stars. I was hoping for so much more, especially with the, uh, the two talents at the, at the forefront of it. So what do you think? Yeah. So my review or my rating rather has been up on the website for a little bit. Now I did see it right when it dropped on Apple plus I gave it two and a half. Uh, I, I think I liked it a little bit more than my wife did. My wife doesn't didn't really care for it too much. I, the musical aspect, the music, you're absolutely correct on. It's not that greatest, but I, I low key really want Good Afternoon to be nominated for an Oscar. Good <laughs> I think afternoon. that was Good Afternoon. It, it it's totally like the Blame Canada from South Park uh, nomination getting happening, but with Robin Williams singing at the Oscars, I can totally s- kind of see that. Just Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds yelling at the Oscars. I, I, I would mm-hmm. find that enjoyable. It but, was clever, but again, it, I, I, I didn't. I, yeah, I just didn't love any of the music. Anyways, continue. Yeah, the music not the best part, but I liked the chemistry between Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds. I, I enjoyed those sp- spots. My daughter walked in and said, "Hey, is that the guy from? Is that the guy from Free Guy?" Yes, it is it is the guy from free guy so that's how she knows him so uh, i really liked that and i thought there was some interesting places the movie did go i think it's more interesting that there's this world of christmas uh ghost having this big operation and at the very end it's kind of funny that they just don't expand from christmas they do hanukkah and all the different other holidays too i thought that was fun um, but you're absolutely kind of right. I, I think I'm a little too high on it, to be honest with you. I kind of forgot. I, I've because I, I didn't rewatch this one. I was taking my notes and I'm like, what do I write? And I, I requested to you, I'm like, can I speak about Violent Night first? Because I think it's more clever in my review of it because I don't remember too much for Spirited. I, I really because it's did. a forgettable movie. Yeah, that is true. I, I think it was interesting where they did go with this one storyline where um, Ryan Reynolds' niece asked for some advice and then there was yeah this uh thing that he does and octavia spencer's character looking digging dirt up on like a little kid i it could have gone darker but then again it doesn't know what the doesn't know exactly what kind of movie it wants to be because they start diving into the backstory of ryan reynolds character but then they go back to the christmas presents character too and so it's keeps jumping back and forth and the songs are the same so you don't know exactly what's going on it is kind of forgettable. I, I'll still stick with two and a half. It's just, I don't know. It's, it's whatever, I guess. 
um, but it is kind of a two-star film. Um, one thing I want to point out, I wish we would have seen more from actress uh, Sunita Mani. She was in a really good movie called Save Yourselves. I thought she has some really good talents for comedy, and it's completely kind of wasted here. Um, I think that she uh, is a pretty funny actress, so definitely deserved a little bit more in this role. So, yeah. yeah. You know what? Yeah, I'm sorry, Terry. I'm making you change it. Just give it two stars. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's harder. You. I can. Well, yeah. And also, I forgot about the movie. <laughs> but uh, it is right. it's streaming, so it's free. So it doesn't. If you want to watch a movie with Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell, it is free. So there it we is go. It's free. All right. Well, Spirited, we're both giving it two stars. Like you said, it's on Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, if you like Will Ferrell, if you like Ryan Reynolds, if you like Christmas movies, especially musicals, it might be worth a watch. But it's it's a pretty forgettable outing and disappointing considering the talent involved. Yeah. Real quick before we, I did put a poll out on Twitter because we're now we're done with our Christmas reviews. I put out yeah. what's the best Christmas movie this year? And there's been several more than the four that I'm mentioning here. And one of them doesn't really qualify as a movie. I put Violet Night. I put Spirited, Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special up there. <laughs> a Christmas Story Christmas, which is on HBO Max streaming. Right. There's a Lindsay Lohan Christmas movie on Netflix that may yeah, have been... Yeah, because like, Netflix listen. is trying to steal some of the Hallmark movie um, traffic. But Yes. So, And there's some other Hallmark movies as well. But as we only have five votes on this. I, I put it like right when we recorded. So it, it probably not... And it's not a really good time to post on Twitter uh, time-wise. But... As of now, with the five votes, we have one vote for Guardians and two votes apiece for Spirited and Violent Night. So I guess we'll keep you posted if we get any new votes on that. But as of now, the Violent Night from us is the far superior holiday oh, movie. Absolutely. And absolutely. I feel like Todd will <laughs> be entertained by the kills. Zach may be entertained by the kills, too. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Maybe. I think Todd will like it. Zach will. I don't know. Zach, think Depends on ready if he or falls not. asleep during it or not. Think ready or not, Zach. That's where you need to go with the kills. There we go. All right. Well, let's move on from that and get into the second half of our podcast here, uh, which is the baseball half of the podcast. So we've talked our movies. We've talked Christmas movies. It's December. Let's talk some Christmas movies. We did that. Now we're going to talk some baseball because the rare times, this happens, what, maybe once a year that the two of us do a podcast together and we, we own the podcast. And always, when this happens, we have to turn half of it into a baseball podcast <laughs> yeah. because uh, we we just have to. So it's either baseball biggest, or Marvel. That's the two things. <laughs> it, it's true. It's true. But I mean, it's baseball off season. You've got some really interesting stuff going on right now. And the thing we're going to focus on is the Hall of Fame because it's one of the more fascinating parts of the uh, of the off season is who is going to make the Hall of Fame for the next year. The ballot has been posted. It's been put out. Uh, you've got people, people, have, uh, the writers have been receiving them. They've been starting to send them back in. Uh, you've got the, the uh, Hall of Fame tracker on Twitter who tabulates all of, all of what's out there so that everyone kind of knows where everyone stands. Uh, you also have the contemporary baseball era ballot where you have just a small select committee that votes for uh for some different uh some different people who've fallen off the ballot but are some more recent ones uh and that announcement is actually going to be happening during our recording so as soon as that is announced which should be any minute now i'm watching they're talking about it right now 
So um, they haven't actually talked gotten to releasing it yet, but uh, that should be coming out any minute. So once that's out, we'll react to that, and then because tonight we'll know there are a few a few new Hall of Famers. But um, so that's the main thing we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about the ballot. We're going to be releasing what who we would vote for if anyone dared to give us a vote for it, and uh, and kind of going from there. All right, the announcement's going on right now, so I'm going to I'm going to pause what we're doing and turn this up for a second. Fred McGriff, Hall of Famer. There we go. Good. Good. What up? Him and Dave Winfield, one of my favorite players back in the day. Yeah. He he's he's a great one. I am I'm going to open up another beer, but I got to show you my my bottle opener here. It is uh, crime dog no. <laughs> no mariners mariners baseball bat uh handle with the there we go there we go there we go yeah so so they're announcing right now as we're as we're talking they're announcing the contemporary era ballot winners and yeah uh fred mcgriff for some reason he only they just said he peaked at just under 40 percent, but he was one of the best and most consistent power hitters of his uh of his era he yeah. did it for so many different teams if he would have glad... hit 500 home runs i think that he would have been in sadly but right. like three or four home runs shy it's like yeah it's ridiculous. And, and, and you and you yeah he fell three or four home runs shy and you think about it if he doesn't have a strike short in 94 season where he possibly was like a mvp candidate yeah he, he's he's gonna he's gonna hit 500 home runs so so good for good for Fred McGriff. Um, yeah, and I did post on Twitter too who I would think about going in. I I have I think on this ballot because there's eight players: Albert Bell, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Don Manningly, Palmero, Fred McGriff, Dale Murphy, and Kurt Schilling. I see three people going. I in, want I, I think. want all the. I think all those deserve to be in. Honestly, yeah. I I, I feel like. They all deserve. I think this is a really tough ballot, but I have uh, Fred McGriff and Dale Murphy. I think those guys should have been in already. C- Roger Clements and Don Mattingly, I can see going in. Uh, Barry Bonds. I, I don't know if they have two PD guys going at the same year, but I, I don't know if Clements and Bonds go in. I think that would make they, sense. Yeah, they're I, so they're so connected at the hip. Bonds and Clements. If one gets in, the other's getting in. The only one um, I can see probably not right away is Kurt Schilling because of this off the field stuff unfortunately with him yeah that are not pd related but we're not going to discuss that but um, so i yeah i don't know it it, they're still talking i don't know if they're going to continue to announce different people but yeah oh it looks like it looks like the voting's done all right so uh the the contemporary ballot fred mcgriff unanimous he's the only one that made it they needed 12 of the 16 votes to get in don mattingly had eight kurt schilling had seven Dale Murphy had six. Everyone else had less than four. So that right there tells you what they think of Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. That and Palmero. Everyone's thinking that, and Palmero. Everyone's thinking, you know, once, but especially Bonds and Clemens. Palmero yeah. had, a po- had, like, had a positive test. Like, he was suspended, and that's what ended his career. But Bonds there and Clemens, is, yeah. uh, everyone's saying, you know, wait till they get to the committees. And see what they think of them. Less than four, less than twenty-five percent of the people in that room voted for Bonds and Clemens. I think that's telling. But congratulations, Fred McGriff, for making the Hall of Fame. Uh, well deserved. 
I know he's one of Todd's favorites too. So uh, yeah, did do uh, now next year? All these guys are different, right? Or these guys they, can go back up for it. They, I don't know. They kind of rotate through which um, what the committees are, like which what era they they are selecting from. So I'm not sure. So this is the committee last year that that picked Harold Baines. I think was the selection from oh, last year's class. Oh wow. yeah, I forgot how bad that pick was. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a, that was a little suspect, but uh, yeah. Anyway, so Fred McGriff, we now know, is a Hall of Famer. So uh, he's going to be joined, potentially, hopefully, by somebody else. There's honestly, there's a chance that nobody gets elected this year uh, from the main ballot. But let's get into that. Let's talk about uh, the the ballot. And who's on it? Uh, who has a chance to be elected from it? And who we would vote for? And who are the new guys? And who are the new guys? This is the best part because looking at the ballot every year, you you have to wait five years before at, from retiring in order to be uh, to be on the ballot. You have to have a career of at least ten years in the big leagues, and then they select who had a significant enough career to be placed on the ballot. And it's always a great, like, oh, man, I remember that guy. And it's getting to be a point, I've got to admit, it just kind of makes me feel old. Because mm-hmm. now it's like, oh, man, that that wasn't that long ago. That I remember when that guy started. But anyways, so the new guys, the new guys on the ballot, we have Carlos Beltran, Francisco Rodriguez, John Lackey, Jared Weaver, Jacoby <laughs> Ellsbury, Wow. Matt Kane, Jahani Peralta, Johnny Peralta, but his name's covered. <laughs> Jason Wirth, JJ Hardy, Mike Napoli, wow. Bronson Arroyo, R.A. Dickey, the knuckleballer, Andre Ethier, and Houston Street. Doesn't that just take you back? What did you say, Francisco Rodriguez? I did say Francisco Rodriguez. Oh, okay, I missed it. K-Rod. K- oh, you said K Rod. Duh. <laughs> yeah. So that those are the newbies on the ballot. And then uh, for everybody else, uh, let's see here for everybody else. Here's everybody else you have on the ballot. You've got uh, the returning ones. I'll, I'll go in order on here. You've got uh, uh, on his, in his third year on the ballot, you have Tory Hunter who had 5.3% last year. You need 5% to stay on the ballot. Uh, you need 75% to make the hall of fame. Uh, Mark Burley is in his third year on the ballot at 5.8% last year. Bobby Abreu, Fourth year on the ballot, 8.6%. Jimmy Rollins in his second year on the ballot, 9.4% last year. Andy Pettit, there's a controversial one. Fifth year on the ballot, 10.7% last year. Uh, Omar Vizquel, sixth year on the ballot, 23.9% last year. Another one that has had some controversy around him. Uh, uh, Speaking of controversy, Manny Ramirez, seventh year on the ballot, 28.9%. The only one in his last year on the ballot, Jeff Kent, is in his 10th and final year on the ballot, 32.7%. A-Rod, Alex Rodriguez, second year on the ballot, 34.3%. Gary Sheffield, ninth year on the ballot, 40.6%. Andrew Jones, sixth year on the ballot, 41.4%. Billy Wagner, eighth year on the ballot, 51%. Todd Helton, fifth year on the ballot, 52%. And Scott Rowland had the most votes for anyone who did not get in last year. Sixth year on the ballot. He was at 63.2%. Okay. So that's the ballot. Let's go through who we would vote for. Now, 
the way the Hall of Fame ballot works, you can vote for up to 10. You cannot uh you cannot vote for more than 10. You can vote for nobody. You can just turn in a blank ballot if you think that nobody on the ballot is a Hall of Famer. Which has That'll make been a done boring podcast. What? That would make a boring podcast. <laughs> that would make a boring podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you could turn in a, a blank ballot. I've heard some people that, that say that they feel like uh, someone turned in a blank ballot and turns in a blank ballot every year because he says that anyone in the steroid era is not a Hall of Famer and uh, and so he never votes for anybody. Um, so, yeah, I don't know about that. Anyways, so that that's uh that's how this voting works. So we've put together who we would vote for, and we're gonna defend our choices now. Uh, so Adam, did you? Would you? Uh, if you had a vote, would you vote for ten this year? Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. I would do ten. I I I didn't think I would. I didn't think I would. Uh. And then I did. So <laughs> as I go. started going through, I'm like, yeah, I want to vote for them. I, I, I think my ballot could easily be eight, but I'm going to say 10. I'm going with yes. 10. So uh, I think here's, here's what we'll do. You start talking about someone. And then if I have them on the ballot, I'll talk. Well, then uh, are we doing Merlot's? I don't know. Th- I think we'll, we'll just say, if they're on our ballot or not, and then okay. we can both talk about them and kind of go from there. If I remember right, last year, like nine of ten were identical on our two ballots. So I think we I'm think sure, quite yeah. similarly when it comes to this. I don't know if that's gonna be the case this year. We'll see. So uh, you go ahead and uh, and put someone forth that you want to talk about on your right. Hall of Fame ballot. I'll do number ten. I'll go from the bottom of my how I ranked them. And we'll oh, go I, I didn't really have them ranked. I have them listed. I have them listed. I've got the the first year guys at the bottom, and I've got uh, and then for, in order of how they were uh, percentage wise last year. So I don't really have okay. them ranked at all. That makes but sense. You go ahead and do what you're gonna do. All right. Okay. You know what? I'll just I'll just throw out a name here. My first guy that absolutely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, Billy Wagner. I think Billy Wagner. It would be my number one choice. Talk about like the most dominant arm in baseball for a period of time, coming at the left-handed arm slot. Like Barry Bonds versus Billy Wagner was must see TV back then. They like they stopped like they stopped MLB tonight to show that at bat before. I, I remember like Billy Wagner was legit for the Astros, the Phillies. Uh, he's played for other teams too, but it's like Billy Wagner that was the guy back then, and uh, yeah, he would definitely get my vote. His number four hundred twenty-two saves yeah. in his career, a two point three one ERA. Uh, he's yeah. trending upward, which is great. He is trending upward. You're right. Uh, yeah, I I have him on mine as well. He, uh, yeah, 903 innings, 1100 strikeouts. I mean, he's got one of the highest uh, strikeout per nine innings of all time. He he, you're right. He was dominant. He had what was it here? A 187 ERA plus. Uh, 
I remember one of the one of the least dominant times in his career was uh, were the uh, the few months where Randy Johnson was traded to the Astros, <coughs> <laughs> and and they said he he started to struggle, and then they realized, oh, that's because seeing six ten from the left hand side throw ninety eight, and then seeing five ten from the left hand side throw ninety eight. It was a little easier to see the five ten guy throw it. That like that was the only time he ever struggled. He did this forever. He played for sixteen seasons. He was a closer for sixteen seasons. You look at how fickle bullpens are these days. You don't see that anymore. Um, he was one of the most dominant closers, a top ten closer in the league for sixteen seasons. You have to have him in the Hall of Fame. You have to have him in the Hall of Fame. I I, I think it was uh, baseball writer John Paul Morosi who had a great way of determining if someone is a Hall of Famer. And his way of, of looking at it is, can I tell the story of that era of baseball without mentioning this player? And I think you have to mention Billy Wagner. Uh, because he was he was one of the best closers of his of his era, and that was an era with Mariano Rivera, with Trevor Hoffman. I think Billy Wagner is the third name you say, and because of that, you have to have him on this list. So yes, I voted for him too. I think Billy Wagner's up there. Maybe Craig Kimbrell because he was early, but. Uh... But late, he's kind of fallen off a little bit though recently. Yeah, so that's like he's he's not even as dominant as these other guys. Yeah, I get there's a there. I think there's a fourth or fifth option. There's a fourth option, and he's on this ballot. I think the fourth Mm -hmm. best close, fourth or fifth best closer. So, let's talk about him because I voted for him, Francisco Rodriguez. K Rod. Rod. Uh, he is. I don't know if he's gonna get. How many votes he's gonna get? I think he's he's gonna stay on the ballot. I don't think he's gonna. He get needs elected. to get at least five. Yeah, I think he needs. Yeah, five. he's at least gonna get the the uh, required amount. Uh, he didn't necessarily have the longevity. Well, maybe he did. I mean, he played. Hold on, played sixteen seasons, just like Billy Wagner. Actually, ended up with more saves of... than Billy Wagner. Four hundred thirty-seven uh... saves instead of four twenty-two for Billy. Uh, yeah. so I mean. That actually impresses me. He pitched more innings than Billy Wagner. Not as Holy many cow. strikeouts or, or or his ERA. Yeah, I know. I, his, I was his looking at it too. Strikeouts were a little below. Uh, gave up a few more hits. Um, through, the numbers yeah, are similar. More innings, more games. He started earlier. Like I remember, K Rod in like that 2002 World, Two World Series. Series. With uh, with the Angels coming out of nowhere and being, he was the setup man to Troy Percival, and then he just yeah. took over, and and he think, he's one of the first guys to ever have a sixty save season, I think. Him and uh, John Lackey both came out of that two thousand two World Series as big studs. John right. Lackey also on this on this uh, Hall of Fame ballot here, but yeah, that, I remember that two thousand two World Series, man. I, I I was cheering on my the Angels because I was I'm also from the Anaheim area. So I was a big Angels fan back way back in the day when I was a kid and going to Edison Field too. So it's uh, cheering on the the Mar- or cheering on the Angels in 2002 was uh, was fun because there was there was Tim Salmon back there too yeah. that era. 
So it's good. That was a good. That was a fun team to watch. Rally monkey time, baby. There, yeah, it was rally monkey. That's right. Now Billy Wagner has a 187 ERA plus. Uh, K Rod has a 148. So ERA plus. It's uh, it's the quality like how far above average, and with park adjusted stats in there, 100 is average. So um, so Billy Wagner's a little better in that respect. But I think, you, yeah, you think about like the last 20 years of baseball, you have to talk about K-Rod. I mean, he reinvented what a closer was. And, and he, was, he, was, he went from being the, the kid and the hot new thing to really being a dominant closer. And you don't necessarily think about him, uh, especially later on in his career. But he he held on to it for quite a long time. I mean, he played for the Angels. Then he went to the Mets for a few years. Uh, he went to the Brewers for a few years. He actually Tigers, ended his career right? in Detroit. Yeah. yeah, he had a year for the Orioles in there, too. What? Um, <laughs> I yeah, I don't remember that. that at all. What year was uh, that? That was let's see, his year in Baltimore was 2013. Uh, pitched 23 games, had no saves that year, though. But 2008, for the Angels, he had 62 saves, uh, 47 saves in 06, 45 saves in 05. All three of those led the led the um, led the league. Uh, in 2008, he was an All-Star. He was third in the Cy Young voting and sixth in the MVP voting as a closer. Uh, but Gagne then you numbers. go beyond that. He had 44 saves for the Brewers in 2014. He had 44 saves for the Tigers in 2016. Uh, he had 40 saves for the Angels in 2007. He had 38 saves for the Brewers in 2015. I mean, he he continued to be a stud, even though you don't necessarily think of him that way. Uh, you look at his ERA wise, 2013. Uh, well, tw- yeah, 2013 he had. He didn't pitch a ton, but he had a 1.09 ERA. Angels, 06 and 04, 173, 182. 2011 with the Brewers, he had, uh, well, that was a short season. Never mind. Um, but yeah, he was over half his career. He had an ERA under three as a closer. I mean, he was, he was a stud. He was a stud. And he reinvented himself, too. Once he lost his fastball and it wasn't the dominant fastball, his slider was nasty. I want to see him in the Hall of Fame. I do. Yep. All right. So Billy Wagner, K Rod. I'm I you you voting for K Rod? Yes. Okay. All right. So there's two. You give another one. Uh Tory Hunter deserves another vote. Do you have to think about some of the best defenders in baseball? I, I always remember Tory Hunter robbing Barry Bonds of the the all-star game Absolutely. right in front of Ichiro. Tory Hunter, uh, maybe not have the greatest defensive numbers. I think there's a center fielder better than than him on the ballot. But there was a stretch where Tory Hunter was one of the best defensive defenders in the, all of the game. And his offensive numbers were pretty solid as well. I think some of the center fielders or outfielder numbers for other people are probably better than him. But at the same time, is were they better defenders than him? So I think Tory Hunter at least deserves another vote. Unfortunately, I think he may be falling off in the next couple of years. Yeah, I'm kind of in a similar spot with him. I've got him on the ballot because I've always loved Tory Hunter. Should I have him on the ballot? I don't know. 
I mean, I'm looking at him here. His his war in terms of the ballot, his war is about middle of the pack. Mm-hmm. Um, his uh, I, I always think War Seven is an interesting one too because it takes their um their most dominant seven year stretch of their career, and what's their mm-hmm. war for that? And again, that's that's middle of the ballot. He's smack dab in the middle, thirty point eight war for his most dominant seven year stretch. Um, his career OPS is one ten. So his batting wise for his career, he's just a little above average. But again, he like you said, you there are those memorable moments of him. He uh, let's see here. He was a one, two, three, four, five time all star. He had one, two, three, four, five years in his career. He had hall. Uh, he had MVP votes, mm-hmm. which I think is impressive. He um he won a silver slugger uh when he was 37 years old playing yeah, for the, the Tigers. Tigers, Ted Tigers, Tigers, yeah. And uh he won a silver slugger at 37, he won a silver slugger at 32. He started winning gold gloves at, in when he was 25. He won one I'm, oh no, I, there's an easier way to find this. Um it says here somewhere. A nine-time gold glove winner, two-time silver slugger, five-time all-star. Um yeah, one of the best defensive center fielders we've seen. Um and and one of the best leaders in baseball. Uh and ambassadors of the game throughout his time uh his time playing. Uh his first full season was 99, his last full season was 2015, still playing at 39 years old. Uh, and playing decently. I mean, that last year he had an OPS of 91, just a little below average. I don't know how he ended up with a career OPS of 110 because looking at this, um, he played how many seasons did he play? He played 19 seasons. Okay, 19 seasons. Only five of them were below average. He never got that high. His highest his highest OPS plus was 129. Um. And which was in his age 36 season, but he was, he was above average hitter. He was a stellar fielder. I agree. The fact that he's getting so low, it's, it's tough, but mm-hmm. I hope he stays on the ballot. All right. You, your pick. All right. Well, I'm going to go. I We're, we're kind of tying these together a little bit. So we talked about one of the best, defensive center fielders of all time in Torrey Hunter. And I'm going to go with another one. That's one of the best defensive center fielders of all time, but had a better bat and should be a hall of famer. And that's Andrew Jones. Um, Correct. Yes. Andrew Jones. I mean, this guy, this guy, he put up Mike Trout numbers. I saw a comparison between Andrew Jones and Mike Trout. He had better numbers, but he just fell off into the end of his career. He did. And, and that was it. And, and, should he, and I've heard people talk about this. Should he be punished for the fact that he tried to keep playing? Uh, on the ballot, he's fifth in war. Um, he's third in war seven. Uh, and barely third. Number one, obviously, A-Rod. Uh, so he's he's right there. So um, you've got, yeah, it, Andrew Jones, man, this guy. You look at when he broke on the scene as a 19-year-old in the World Series with the Braves. He uh, 10-time Gold Glove winner, yeah, five-time All-Star. He won one Silver Slugger. 
uh, one, two, three, four, five times he had MVP votes. Um, he uh, he led the league in homers and RBIs in 2005, finished second in the MVP that year. Um, he was, when he was at his best, he was dominant. And he just kept playing. He didn't want to give it up. And he, I mean, he started so early. And you could say he kind of fizzled out at the end. And he wasn't that that old. He retired at 35. His last season was 2012 with the Yankees at 35. Uh, but, and he started when he was 19. Uh, he left the Braves and went uh, after 2007, after his age 30 season. And then he was a journeyman. He played one year for the Dodgers, one year for the Rangers, one year for the White Sox, and then ended with two years for the Yankees. So I could see if you want to say, you know, he... He and his career didn't last as long as some others. His peak didn't last as long, but his peak was dominant. His mm-hmm. peak was so stellar. You have to put Andrew Jones in the Hall of Fame. What are we doing? Yeah, he should definitely be in there. He's definitely one of the cooler Joneses. If you're keeping up with the Joneses, that is Chipper Jones being the other one. He was <laughs> exactly yeah, fantastic. Who, who is in the Hall of Fame? Who is a Hall of Famer, along with all his other teammates, other than Javi Lopez, really? But um, pretty much, I, I, uh, Andrew I, I, I'm Jones, not seeing man, any Jeff great... Blauser in the Hall of Fame. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no. no. <laughs> uh, Finney Castilla back there Probably playing. Th- for uh, call. Yeah, for call. Marcus Giles. Yeah. There's a there's a there's a few not in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, not. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, Andrew Jones, a fantastic defender, definitely one of the more iconic names on this list. I think for moments, uh, just a fantastic that swing, that right-handed swing, one of the, probably the best defender I've ever seen besides Ichiro and Griffey. I don't think I think those two guys did some really crazy plays. Granted, I was more of a you know American League watcher, but you know TVS is everywhere, so you you right. would always watch. Uh, the so Braves Todd games. A Braves fan. Yeah, Channel Fifty Five. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would watch those Brave games, and yeah, so gotta say, out there too. so smooth. Yeah. Um. Oh, back on the ball goes. Oh, Joe. Oh, got the wall. Jones gets the. Yeah, it's great calls. Yeah, yeah. Andrew Jones deserving to be in there. So. Absolutely. All right, give me another one. <sighs> All right, we're gonna get controversial here. We're going Alex Rodriguez. Um. All right. A-Rod is definitely not liked. And there's another person I voted for that is definitely not liked by the writers. Uh, but Alex Rodriguez, you have to look at his his years and what he did. One of the most dominant MVP winners of all time with the Yankees and the Texas Rangers, as well as being his up-and-comer with the Mariners. Uh, yeah, it's kind of hard to argue. I get it. The PDs things definitely have hurt him. And obviously with what we just found out about Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, um, he may not get in for a very long time unless he does some really serious, butt uh, butt kissing. Um, but we, we shall see. I, I, he's still deserving of a vote. He love him or hate him. He's the villain. Even his MVP season, he still got booed in New York. That's the, the, the craziest thing. Um, but yeah, he's a solid player, and yeah, it's hard to beat the numbers and, and the gold gloves and the MVP wins too. So Alex Rodriguez will at least get a vote on my ballot. Three time MVP, 14 time All Star, two time gold glove winner, 
Yeah, that's ten times silver right slugger, won a batting title mm-hmm. with the Mariners at age twenty. Yeah. But um, Julio did a great job, but he yeah, seriously. I love Julio, but he didn't no batting title for Julio. So one thing he didn't win. <laughs> so this is the one that I was kind of like, you know what, I'll throw him on because I do have ten. Um and he was probably the last one I added. I don't think he's getting in, especially like you said, especially what we just found out about about Bonds and Clemens. Granted, two different voters. I, we understand that, but at True, the same time, but they they just went through this exact same process for ten years and did not get in. The highest they got was like sixty percent, and mm-hmm. did not get there. Or no, maybe fifty, fifty-five, something like that. Do you think any PED guy gets in ever? Maybe eventually, but it might be a while. Especially, I, I was I was thinking there was a chance both of them got voted in today, and the fact that they didn't. Uh, it's going to be a while. It's going to be a while. Now, the other thing I I would say, A-Rod has a different stigma to him simply because he was suspended for steroids. He admitted admitted to doing it. Where the other two still haven't, right? Bonds and Clemens still haven't admitted to it. They refuse yeah. to talk about it. They refuse to say it. Now, the one thing A-Rod has going for him is he has become an ambassador of the game. He has stayed in the public eye. He is on every World Series broadcast, right? He so everyone He's been knows. to the Oscars. He's been to the Oscars. <laughs> everyone knows who Alex Rodriguez is. Whether you are a whether you want to talk about it or not, you know who he is. So He's improving his image where Bonds and Clemens kind of disappeared and didn't want to didn't want to talk about it, didn't want to be a part of it. I don't know. I don't think he ever gets in, at least not in the in these 10 years. Um, and I don't I don't think uh especially now, I don't think he gets in on a on a ballot. He was never a liked player in the league, but the fact that I have 10 votes, I wasn't going to fill out the rest of my ballot with other people. And I said, well, then I'm going to vote for A-Rod. So he's on my ballot. Okay. All right. Pick somebody that won't be on mine. <laughs> I'm going to go with the left. other controversial one that I have on my ballot. It's another first timer, and that's Carlos Beltran. Uh, he's another one I I barely... I. I wasn't sure about, I put on kind of at the last second. Uh, you can't deny what this guy, switch hitter in the league, a 20 year career. And are you going to throw all of that out? Because at the end of his career in his final season, he was a part of the sign stealing scandal. I mean, that that's, that's really what's holding him back. He was a part of the sign stealing scandal. Uh, in 2017 with the Astros, he was their DH for that uh, that World Series run. And and are you going to hold that against him for the other 16 years? I mean, he never tested positive for steroids or anything like that. He he was a part of this whole thing. I don't know if I'm going to hold that against him, but you look at his numbers in general. Uh, you you've got to consider him, and you've got to consider him a, a big time. 
part of this. He's third on the ballot in war. He is fourth on the ballot in war seven. Uh, in terms of OPS plus, uh, he's down a little ways, but that's because he had a 20 year career. He won rookie of the year in 99, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. He got MVP votes. Um, he uh three-time gold glove winner, nine-time all-star, two-time silver slugger. He had one of the most dominant performances of anybody in a in a postseason ever, his first time around with the Astros, when he single-handedly brought the Astros to the World Series in 2004. Um you ha- you have to consider him. He's a Hall of Famer, if not for the fact that he helped set up the sign stealing scandal. He's the manager of the Mets right now. If you take out the fact that he helped set up the sign stealing scandal. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I got to put him in there. I got to put him in there. Do you have him? I absolutely agree that he deserves to be in the hall of fame next year. I did not have him <laughs> on my ballot. You All punish right. him for one year. You punish him for one year. So we have, we have it. We have some, a difference there. Okay. Pick somebody else. I, I, I'm, yeah, he was one that I was kind of like, uh, yeah, he's deserving, but no, man. They fired him because what he he was part of it. They fired Alex Cora for being part of it. I I don't. And then I hired him that, back. They hired back Alex Cora after it. He, Just yes, throwing yes. that up. Yeah, I. Uh, yeah, but I think they do. They hold it against him for one year. I I think his numbers are too good, and he may get in. He may get in. They might not even care, but. A lot of people are upset with the Astros. You still go to games and there's still booze for the people that were in there. The, so. the, the, the steroids are looked at in a different light. Um, I mean, correct. So I, another, another great example of that is what's been the other hall of fame discussion topic of note over the last week. Taylor Perry died this week. Oh, okay. Gaylor Perry, um, yeah. And Gaylord Perry is one that I have always pointed to as how um, baseball is weird. And uh, because baseball encourages cheating, they encourage finding an edge, right? Gaylord Perry made the hall of fame. Gaylord Perry threw a spitball all the time and everybody knew it, right? Everybody knew. He and, and he was the master of the spitter, which has been illegal forever. But he's in the Hall of Fame. But those that did steroids now, we can't let them in. Beltron, the sign stealing, they made a big deal of it. But if you think about it, everyone's trying to steal signs. The only the only problem with them is they use technology to do it. Stealing signs is a part of the game. Why do you switch signs if you've got if you've got a runner on second base? Yeah, pitch track now. You don't have to even worry about it anymore. But why did why did why would they change signs? Because you thought the guy on second was stealing the signs and relaying them to the batter. It's it, it's something that has always been a part of the game. It's going to be viewed differently in history. He's going to make the Hall of Fame eventually, and especially when you think of the fact that he had a twenty year career. And in the 20th year of his 20-year career, he had this one little thing blip up. Yeah, it, it's it's going to be, it's it's going to be looked over eventually. 
I think that it's going to hit Altuve and Bregman um, and Correa a lot harder when they hit the ballot. Or I, and I think it's going to be forgotten by then because now it's gone, then, okay. and they're all proving that they're if if they continue to play well. That is true. because because now it's gone and they're still doing it and they're still doing what they do and so I think it, they're going to be fine. Okay, yeah, give me someone you're else. Right, you're right. Okay, we, Manny we Ramirez. A little bit. Manny Ramirez. Manny. Okay. <laughs> that was my controversial, other controversial one. Uh, yeah, he's a, so likable. I, I I love Manny Ramirez. Twenty four, Red Sox. Yeah, another one. Uh, steroid user, but he's very dominant career. A very great hitter a lot of good bat and ball skills there and he was definitely uh for that time period when you're talking about baseball you got to talk about manny ramirez i think manny ramirez gets like uh he was him and david ortiz get talked about because they had to you have to mention them in the same breath because of the world series for the red sox they're part of that bunch of idiots yeah the Justin line Victoria, I, the of... line i draw with steroids is did you test multiple positive? multiple he tested positive three times yeah i know three times yeah i, I, I couldn't put him on my ballot and he's and and uh, uh, he's never gonna get in so yeah he can join and, robinson cano on the, yeah. the dream team of never getting in unfortunately all right um my pick next, I'm going to go with the one that's most likely to get in, and that's Scott Rowland. Uh, yep, he's on I got six, him too. Yeah, six year on the ballot. He had 63% of the vote last year. Um, he is one of the best defensive third basemen of all time. He uh, eight-time gold glover, seven-time all-star. He won one silver slugger. He was a rookie of the year, won a World Series title. Um he is uh he was just a stud and did it kind of kind of quietly i think that's why it's taken him so long is he was he was a dominant force when he was a philly and then when he went to the when he went to the cardinals and he finished his career cardinals well in cardinals he had some great years with them but then he went to the the blue Blue jays Jays and the reds he was kind of easy to forget about because he just kept doing the same stuff. But 2010, 2011, his age 35, 36 season with the Reds, he was an all-star. 2010, he got MVP votes and won a gold glove as a 35-year-old third baseman. Uh, you look at that. He he was a dominant force at third base. Um I think if you're saying Adrian Beltre is a surefire first ballot Hall of Famer, you can't say that and say Scott Rowland is not. Yeah, Scott Rowland definitely is, is going to make the Hall of Fame this year. I think the next there's another guy we haven't mentioned that might get in this year as well. They're both trending upward, uh, but Scott Rowland, a sabermetric darling, and I think now that the writers have or the voters have changed a bit and they're favoring <laughs> those stats, I think that he gets in. I think it's a no doubt thing. He goes in as a, a cardinal, um, and yeah, Scott Rowland is very deserving to be there. Definitely more of the um, dominant third base defenders. He was basically Matt Chapman before Matt Chapman. Like, and that's Bale, a Beltre. great comparison. Yeah, he's he's Matt Chapman. If Matt Chapman 
had stayed consistent doing what he was doing before as the platinum glove winner, potential MVP candidate yeah. for 17 seasons. That's what Scott Rowland was. He's a more consistent Matt Chapman for sure. Absolutely. Just, he's just not flashy about it. And that, I think that's, what's been keeping him away. All right. What do you got? Give me another one. Uh, Todd Helton. Uh, I think. Yeah, baby. That's, that's the other one that's probably going to get in. They're going to say cores effect, but he hit out of sight of cores too. He's an iconic guy for that time for first base. Uh, I'm a big Todd Helton fan. I always really like that swing, like the personality. I was a huge Red Sox fan for a while there too, especially in the 07 World Series. No, no. Was it the 07 World? Yeah, 07 World Series against the uh, Colorado Rockies. Uh, kind of wish that they would have won the, so that Todd Helton could get a ring and Matt Holiday and those guys. Uh, Helton, just a dominant first baseman, good defender, really hit the ball really hard. And I think he's trending upward where he gets, there's a possibility that he gets in this year. From so take some work. Yeah. Yeah. From 2000 to 2004, he, uh, he made, he had five straight all star game appearances, five straight appearances on MVP voting. He had three gold gloves and four silver sluggers. His best year in that was 2000, where he led the league in batting average, on base percentage, slugging, OPS, RBIs, doubles, and hits. In 2000. And then he kept going. 2009, he had MVP votes. And you're right. The only reason he's not in the Hall of Fame is because he played his entire career in Colorado. And everyone tries to uh, tries Discredit to say that. that is that is not. It's it, you, you can't let anybody in who ever played in Colorado. Well, I'm sorry. If you're going to do that then we need to have Ubaldo Jimenez in the Hall of Fame. We need to have Mike Hampton in the Hall of Fame because uh, if you're going to say Todd Helton is not a Hall of Famer, then the pitchers who had five ERAs in in Colorado, they need to be in the Hall of Fame. And uh, you don't handicap pitchers for pitching in pitcher-friendly ballparks. So you got guys who go to, like, what, Detroit, who, who has this gigantic ballpark, are we going to say Justin Verlander doesn't deserve to be a first ballot Hall of Famer because he spent two-thirds of his career pitching at a pitcher-friendly ballpark that no one can hit in? No, we're not going to say that because he's Justin Verlander. He's getting in the Hall of Fame. Todd Helton deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Who cares what park he hit in? Come on, people. Yeah, it just proves that Nolan Arenado got the same kind of criticism, but he goes to St. Louis and just an MVP finalist. He's doing the same thing. He's doing the exact same thing. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Where was I on this? Uh, so Todd Helton sixth on the ballot in war. Uh, and if you go war seven, he's second. He had the second best peak of anybody on the ballot behind a rod steroid induced a rod. I mean, come on. And again, he played forever. He played 17 seasons. If he had called it quits a little sooner, he probably would have a lot better stats. But, I mean, you look at his... Uh, his When he led the league in hitting in 2000, he hit 372. Wow. He played 17 seasons. 12 of those 17 seasons, he had a batting average over 300. And 12 of those 17 seasons, he had an OPS over 117. Come on. 
Put him in the Hall of Fame. Put Peyton Manning's backup quarterback in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Did you know that? He was Peyton Manning's backup at Tennessee. I didn't know that. Yep, he was That's Peyton funny. Manning's backup quarterback at Tennessee. All right. Uh, I'm next here. Two left. I'm putting fourth. The, uh, the one. He's in his last year on the ballot. Yep. But why the hell does Jeff Kent only have 32%? Uh, ridiculous he's not liked by the writers that's why he's probably not apparently he had all right there's only one set and one stat only that you need to prove that jeff kent is a hall of famer he has more home runs than any second baseman ever ever he leads all second basemen ever in home runs <laughs> How you can see how animated Terry's getting. It's the best ever. <laughs> Come on, he won a he won an MVP at second base while he was a teammate of Barry Bonds. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven times he was on the MVP. He got MVP votes at second. Come on. Why are they going to not let him in? Oh, because he wasn't very good defensively at second base. Who cares? It's second base. I mean, seriously. We're going to keep him out of the Hall of Fame because he didn't have a glove? What? Give me a break. This is insane. He had a killer stash, too. He He did have a killer stash. He absolutely had a killer stash. Giants, Astros. Yeah, just a fantastic career. I think he goes in as a giant. Yeah, I, he should have gone in the Hall of Fame. I think he, I hope that they, his, the, the era, contemporary errors committee puts him in. Yeah. I'm trying to find like a defensive run saved stat for him, and I'm not, I'm not seeing it anywhere, but. He totally deserves to be in. It's ridiculous. It really is ridiculous yeah. that he's not in yet. I hope he gets in. He'll. He's one that he won't get in because it's impossible to go 30, from thirty-two percent yeah. to seventy-five percent in one year. But he's gonna. He's gonna be. He's gonna be Fred McGriff. Like as soon as he's as soon as he misses, he's gonna get in one of these one of these contemporary yeah, yeah. era ballots, and he's gonna be unanimously voted in. And mm-hmm. so that they can just say the writers are idiots. This guy's a Hall of Fame. Yeah. All right. Give me one more. Last one. Gary last Sheffield. One about... Ooh, that is not one. my last one. Yeah. Uh, Gary Sheffield, another guy that you think about that era. You think of another Braves player, but uh, he is him and Manny Ramirez were my last two I put on. And they're just so much fun to watch. I think that's. Uh, part of it i think another hard part thing just like lee smith he played for too many teams where he never stuck with somebody so it's really hard for them to put him in because of that also peds have something to do with that too um yeah gary sheffield probably not gonna make it but it's one of my fun picks that i wanted to just throw out out there i think he's deserving his numbers are really solid he had a really strong run of dominance I, i feel in there as well yeah, there's something to the fact that you, uh, if you play for too many teams, you don't have a fan base. That, yep, that is definitely the 
everyone's in, in imitated that batting stance. Um, but you don't have that fan base to rally behind you. Like, I feel like the only reason Edgar Martinez got in the Hall of Fame is because he had the entire city of Seattle rallying behind him because he played his entire career there. You don't have that with a guy like Gary Sheffield. Also, the main reason he's not in is his ties with PEDs. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, th- those are rumors. I don't know why the rumors permeate better with some than others i mean i would put him in like the same categories like a jeff bagwell in the rumors like he never had there's no proof but and there's jeff rumors got in. and jeff bagwell got in why why are they considered differently with that said david I ortiz didn't vote for him. david ortiz got in ortiz ortiz got in and he was actually in the re- what was report. he in the report yeah was he in the mitchell report i think or something like that he he tested but positive guess what in, in like ortiz the anonymous liked he tested positive in like the anonymous test that wasn't supposed to be released. So he was, he, it was thrown out. Yeah. I, with that said, I didn't have him on my ballot. I don't know why I've never, I've never been a Gary Sheffield fan. I mean, he, he, at the same time, I understand why you would put him on there. My last one, uh, call me a little bit of a Homer. If you want, I went with, the guy who played possibly the best shortstop for 24 years of his career. And that's Omar Vizquel. Um, he won the gold glove 11 times. Yep. 24 years, won 11 gold gloves. Three time all-star though. Only, only made three all-star teams. Um, he had MVP votes one year in 1999 at age 32. He was, he finished 16th on the MVP ballot. He's a stat accumulator. Like you look at his stat line, like, Oh man, he was only 123 hits short of 3000, which is true. Only finished 123 hits short of 3000, but he played for 24 years. But at the same time, he was one of the best shortstops we've ever seen. For 24 years at the age of 45, he was still out there playing shortstop and dominating. Now he's got some controversy with his, with his off field life and some accusations against him. I don't know if you want to count that against him. I don't, whatever. Um, if Ozzy Smith is a hall of famer, Omar Vizquel is a hall of famer. That's how I look at it. Um, he, Hitting wise, now here's here's the here's the knock against him. He played for 24 years. Of those 24 years, twice he had an OPS plus over over 100. So only twice in his career was he an above average hitter. Okay, only once in his career did he have a batting average over 300. So I get if you want to say he, you know, he's only there because he's a stat accumulator. But again the best defensive shortstop for 24 years. You got to consider him. If we're going to, if we're going to throw out the defense for a guy like Jeff Kent, because he was such a great offensive force, you got to forgive some bad D uh, some bad offense for such a great defensive force in Omar. So I put him on my ballot. Now he was the last three I put on were a rod, Vizquel and Beltran. Um, 
the scale probably the last one I put on. So you could easily say this ballad should have been seven or eight. Um, and I could have left off A-Rod, Vizquel, and Beltron. Um, Beltron was the first one I put on to make it eight, then A-Rod, then Vizquel. At the same time, I think you got to have Vizquel in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I can understand that. It's a compelling argument, but he, yeah, I, I don't know. I probably wouldn't put him in, yeah. though, but I get what you're saying. Looking That's ahead, fun. next year is going to be stacked. Oh, yeah. I haven't looked ahead yet. Um, hold on a second. Oh, wait. This is, I'm at 2025. Hold on a second. I had to back up one. That's Ichiro and Felix's year to go in. Um, so 2024, first time ballot. We have Adrian Beltre. First, yeah, he's in in the first ballot. Joe, Joe Maurer. It's, it's a hard one. Ooh, that's a tough one. I, I, yeah. I think he might get in, but not a first ballot guy, I'm going to say. Uh, you got you got Chase Utley, another not MVP. a first ballot guy. I, I think he David. he's going to be similar to Jimmy Rollins, who's what on his second ballot at just under ten percent. He's mm-hmm. going to be right there with him. Now, yeah. if Chase Utley gets in before Jeff Kent, I'm going to be pissed. Yeah, that'd be bad. Yeah, uh, David Wright. Oh, uh, David Wright. I don't think. Yeah, he doesn't get yeah, in. No, events. no, Bartolo Cologne. He never he never gets in, but my word, <laughs> yeah. what a what, what fun. a big sexy. Matt Hol- Matt, Matt Holiday. Matt Holiday, Adrian. new bench coach of the uh of the yeah. uh Cardinals. I think, I think so, yeah. What yeah uh, Adrian Gonzalez, Jose Batista, and Jose Reyes. That that's a solid group. That's gonna be a fun group to talk about next year. Yeah. All right. Well, we've got our ballots out there. No one, I, I doubt anyone really cares, but it's a fun conversation. It's fun to talk about baseball past. All right. Mm-hmm. I have some trivia for you. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Void is a slap in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia. All right. Let's see how you do with this. Uh, I went to some, uh, this is some Hall of Fame trivia. All right. Can you name the top 10 highest war in of Hall, out of Hall oh of Famers God. for position players? We're, we're going to go position players. Position players. Top so I'm, 10. I'm, one of war. each. What? Is it one of each position or? No, 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 no. Just position players in general. In the Hall of Fame, the highest war. Ken Griffey Jr. Is not on the list. Wow. Um, Let me, I'm going to check here where he fell in this. Griffey. Great, Great start. Griffey was 32nd. Oh my god! Wow. On the list. Yeah. Yeah. People on here. Griffey. Griffey had a career WAR of eighty-three point eight. There are eighteen people in the Hall of Fame that have a WAR of over a hundred for their career. Come on, just throw spit out the the, the uh, Brooks the Brooks Robinson. 
Brooks Robinson did not make the list. We're gonna Mickey. we're gonna do this as a as a three strikes and you're out. Uh, Brooks Mantle. Robinson. That's not a bad. That's not a bad guess. But oh, I know this. I'm stupid. I know this guy. All right, go ahead. Guy. Ted Williams. Ted Williams was tenth on this list. You got to remember, he lost a couple years to the war. Yeah, the war. Uh, tenth um, on the list with a 122 war for his career. Uh, Ty Cobb. Ty Cobb is number three. Uh, we got. Come on, there, there. Uh, we got Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle's not on the list. What? Come on, man. Mickey Mantle. He did not have the longevity to be on this list. With that said, Mickey Mantle was 14th. He had a 110 WAR for his. Career. I was close. How All about? Right. I'm gonna give you one about... more chance because you need oh to have God. one more chance I'm, here. I'm an idiot. Gotta love trivia. Um. Come on, man. Let's see here. Babe Ruth is that? Babe that, Ruth it's... is number one. Oh a my God. A 162.7 career WAR. Willie Mays. Willie Mays is number two. Now we're talking. Uh, Hank Aaron. Hank Aaron's number four. So you've got the top four now. Uh, now it gets a little trickier. There, there's a couple catchers I can think of on the top of my head. Is there a catcher in the top ten? Nope. Okay, so that, that rules out Jimmy Fox. Okay. Uh, I said Ty. Did I say Ty Cobb? You did say Ty Cobb. You said you've got Ruth, Mays, Cobb, Aaron are the top four, and then Ted Williams is tenth. Mm -hmm. Jumping Joe DiMaggio, but he's lost a couple years too because the war. DiMaggio's not on the list. I was gonna look where he did fall on the list. He was thirty sixth. Not that high Mm. in war. Wow. Uh, All right. So here's the rest of the top top ten. Number five, Tris Speaker. Yeah, we number got six, that one. Honus Wagner. Number yeah, seven, Stan Musial. Uh, Mr. Cardinal. Number eight, Rogers Hornsby. Mm. Number nine, Eddie Collins. Not a name I would have thought of. Yeah, number two 10, I would not Ted have Williams. Yeah, sure. Um, I should have hit a couple of those. Hornsby. 11, and Wagner. 11, Lou Gehrig, by the way. He was the one that just missed. Mm. All right, we got one more category. Highest war for pitchers. Highest top 10 highest war for pitchers. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, we'll do this one. I've got a few more categories, but I don't know if we're gonna get to all of them. All right, um, Fergie Jenkins. No, no, what am I doing, Adam? Juan Marichal. No, Cy Young. Cy Young is number one. <laughs> yeah, jeez, Louise, what an idiot, Adam. You, you got uh, this one's a little, this one's a little trickier because it, you gotta think old school of the guy, of the just the accumulators from from Lefty Grove. Ooh, Lefty Grove is number five. Good one, good one. What's that? What's his name? Grover Alexander or something like that. Uh, Grover Cleveland Alexander is not on the list. That's a great stab, though. Ah, that's this is, this is good stuff, man. Old school pitcher. There, not all of them are old school. I will say that. Is Tom Seaver on this list? I can see that. Ooh, Tom Seaver is number six. Hmm. Okay. Because yeah, I don't know how they. Because because Nolan Ryan could be an interesting guest. 
because of the strikeouts. Nolan but Ryan I don't is think not on the list. Not on the list, yeah. Um, Nolan Ryan was 19th. Yeah, interesting. Um, let's go with I'm trying to think old school. I'm having a hard time thinking of the old, the old school pitcher. That's what's going to throw me off. Um, Randy, would the big unit be on there? Randy Johnson is eighth. Okay, wow. On the list. Okay. Yeah. There we go. That was a that was my like. He's probably not going to be on it, but it's worth mentioning. He made it. There, there's um, one more. One Jim more Palmer. I would consider modern. Jim Palmer is not on the list. You mm. get one more guess. Okay, so there is a modern, cool air quotes modern guy. Yes. Oh, um, Greg Maddox. Greg Maddox is number seven, just above Randy. Okay. Was that the modern choice there? That was the modern one. Yeah. Okay. Well, there, that, there's that, one. There's one more that. that's that's like one more that's pitched in the last a hundred years. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, what's team he plays for? Uh, mostly known as a Brave. Pitched from 1964 to 1987. He was oh. the definition of a stat accumulator. Recently died in the last year or so. Warren Spahn. Or Spahn. Spahn. Warren Spahn. Spahn. No, Warren Spahn. That's not the guy, was, but. He was just off, I think. I saw Warren Spawn finish 13th. I think he's one that lost a couple years to the war too. No, number mm. 10 on the list is Phil Necro. Uh, yeah. Okay. I can see that. Cause number nine, number nine, Christy Mathewson. Oh, I, I was thinking that was the brave one for a second, but I, I was like, no, that's not the guy. I think I said it. Yeah. But Christy, I should have said that one. He pitched from 1900 to 1916. The number eight was Randy, number seven, Maddox, number six, Seaver, number five, Lefty Grove, number four, Pete Alexander. Oh, wait, no, I think that is Grover Cleveland Alexander. I think you did get that one then. I think that's the same guy. Wait, is that the same guy? Um, (laughs) Yeah. You mean that's the same guy? Um, Is that this? Is it this guy? I'm trying to think. Why would he? Yeah, Grover Cleveland Alexander. Yep. This is him. Well, good. I did so, yeah, a good you were, stab you then. Did I did have that I did, one right. I did a good thing, Mom. <laughs> Number three is some guy named Kid Nichols. Pitched from 1890 to 1906. Nice. Um, Number two is uh, the the big train, Walter Johnson. <sighs> That's an oversight. I did and not number, say that. And number one is Cy Young. Big Walter Jane and yeah, Johnson. All right. Where does Satchel Page end up on this list? Satchel Page never pitched in the or barely pitched in the big leagues. I guess that's true. He wouldn't. They don't count those other numbers. Um, but it'd be so interesting here, here, if he did. Here, here you go. Number eleven, Burt Blylevin. What? Yeah, that's Number a weird 12, one. Gaylord Perry, thirteen, mm. Warren Spawn, fourteen, Tim Keefe, fifteen, Eddie Plank, sixteen, Pedro Martinez. Right, that's 17 John Clarkson, 18 Steve Carlton, 19 Nolan Ryan, and 20. How could we forget? Pud Galvin. Pitched from <laughs> 1875 to 1892. Had a Good career record of 365 and 310. Good old Pud. 
That was, that was a that was a different era. We like to say. Dead ball. All right, let's go. <laughs> let's wrap this up now. Quote of the daytime: Strawberries, not the cheese. Womack with a little sex in it. Quote of the day: You go first. I honestly forgot to do one, but uh, I did reference. I, I referenced it for Filing Night. Filing Night. We need to kick these guys in the ass. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Borderline uh, naughty list there. The butthole? No, 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 no. The anus. Well, technically, that's that. That works. Yeah, we're gonna kick these guys in the anus. There you go. So there we go. That was a good. We one. kick this episode in the anus for sure. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, my my quote also comes from Violent Night, and uh, I think it describes this podcast really well. Mm-hmm. And and it might it might be the end of this podcast. I don't know because my quote is uh is from John Leguizamo when he says, "I know you're an idiot, just don't be an idiot out loud," <laughs> which is kind of what we do for two hours every yeah. week. On the Almost Sideways podcast. So, Especially when it comes to me trivia. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back at you next time with another episode. Until then, have fun watching movies and we'll catch you on the flip side. Bye. High five. High five. Despite your cross behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.